Case 906 at WBTF Radio. It is a Monday night, so we get us a marker here. It's uh, August the 17th in the year 2020. My name is Tom Kearney, and I'm here every night, Monday through Friday, with a little bit of live and in real-time radio. And uh, we like to talk about things that are interesting, entertaining, uh, edifying, educational, all those E words. Uh, but we are live and in real time, and we are going to have a, uh, a situation that has the aspect of an open phone tonight, and we're going to ask you to join us on the program and be part of the the uh, the guest on the program. Uh, and uh, uh, four or five years ago, we started doing a series of programs called Nostalgia, and we do them periodically now. And uh, uh, I thought today would be a time for a good Nostalgia program, so we're going to invite you to call us at 919 Eight six zero nine seven eight three. As we talk about nostalgia, or for uh, the early days of uh, politics, uh, political conventions on radio and television, and those kinds of things, and in, in in fact in your life. So I want you to listen to me for a couple of minutes, and then I want you to get your finger busy because I think everyone has a story, uh, and uh, they just have to be willing to to come out and tell it. And, so 919, of course, is our area code. That's easy to remember. 860-9783-9783 in terms of letters is WPTF. So it's 860-WPTF that you're calling. John Soller is at the controls, and he'll keep us on the air. And uh, you, if you can respond to my entries, uh, entreaties, uh, give me a call, and uh, we'll talk about nostalgia. I was thinking today... Uh, this is why I get nostalgic. I was sitting in my brown chair, and uh, that's where my wife usually finds me, is in my brown chair. It's one of those that you that you can sort of lean back in a little bit. Nothing fancy like a barca lounger or something like that. Nothing like that at all. But I was there, and I closed my eyes, and I had a kind of a rough week last week, and uh, so I was trying to recover some of my energy, and so I let my mind roam over... Uh, well, I knew today was supposed to be the first day of the Democrat convention, and we don't normally talk about politics, and we still aren't going to do that on this program. Uh, that is the one party versus the other party, the in, in, internal workings and of who you're for and who you're against and those kind of things. But we, we, we are interested, at least I'm interested, in the history of those kind of things. And the history that sprang into my mind as my eyes closed today and I looked back, uh, little Tommy was about eight or nine years, he was eight, between eight and nine years old. He'd been sent for the summer for a couple of weeks to stay with his aunt and uncle who lived in Norfolk, Virginia. And the difference between my hometown of Goldsboro and Norfolk, Virginia was they had a TV station. Uh, there was not a TV station in North Car Eastern North Carolina operative. The closest one was WFMY in Greenville, which is right in the middle of the state. In 1953, uh, WNCT in Greenville would be the first station to come on in eastern North Carolina, and uh, they would uh, would uh, be uh, a CBS affiliate, as they still are, as a matter of fact, now. That's Channel 9 in Greenville. But uh, here I am in Norfolk. They've got Channel 3 on the air. In fact, later that year, I think I... I would go with my grandfather to a TV store in Goldsboro, out near Adamsville, and watch the World Series. Uh, coming from the very channel I was watching in Norfolk, 
the guy who had the shop was interested in selling television, so he invited people to come and see what they could see. And uh, he had a tall tower with an antenna on top of it. I think it was Robbins Television, if I remember. No longer there, but uh, but this was in there. So here I am in, in Norfolk, and I, I'm in marveling for, for the first time to be able to watch television for the first thing. And there is a little bit of nostalgia for that, uh, and seeing the, the programs for the first time, because this is one of those things that slowly was inching across America, but uh, had not made it uh, as far uh, outside the uh, the north, uh, north, north, the northeast particularly. The earliest stations were in New York City, and then uh, development was held up somewhat because of uh, the war. But uh, then they had there were stations in Philadelphia. The dance party was one of the things known uh, 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 WFIL in, in Philadelphia, in Boston, and all of those you have, who have come to my listenership from that part of the world will remember those stations. The first TV station in North Carolina uh, went on the air in 1949, WBTV in Charlotte, and the first one in Richmond uh, was in Richmond in Virginia, WTVR, I believe, went on the air in 1948. WTAR in Norfolk was right behind it, and there I was sitting in the living room uh, near Ocean View, uh, marveling at uh, black and white television, and on comes the political conventions. And I was a small little kid, so I'd heard of political conventions. I was really interested in who was president and how they elected the president, and have always been interested in that. But so I, I said, I want to watch this. And they were interviewing I forget which one was first, and I don't know if I actually saw both of them. I certainly saw the Republican one, because it was uh, they were interviewing Robert Taft, T-A-F-T, and most of the young people in our audience will not know who that is. They will probably know. I think William Howard Taft was his father or grandfather, but he he was one time president of the United States. I meant to check that out. But the Taft family. Uh, is a was a large group of people who have been historically, as a family, interested in politics, and different members of the family uh, had represented uh, uh, areas in the southern part of Ohio, and they were near and around Cincinnati, I believe. And so here they're interviewing Robert Taft and the possibility of being uh, a candidate on the Republican ticket for president. Now, you got to remember, I'm a little kid, and... I knew there was a famous man who wanted to be the Republican nominee and probably was going to be elected. In fact, he was. But he was a man named Dwight David Eisenhower. And I was not at the point where I could understand why anybody would be running against General Eisenhower, the the hero of uh, the winning of the war in Europe. Everybody, it seems, and anybody who's as old as I am or who was ever around or knows any history knows, that the motto was I like Ike. Ike was the name that Eisenhower was typically called, even by the lowliest of privates. So, but here Robert Taft was saying bad things about the general. Well, it took a while for me to get over that. But I had begun the process of learning about American national politics and the conventions that were used at that time to nominate uh, the presidential candidates. And they were a story in themselves. Now, we're going to stop here for a minute and hope that some of you have had your ires raised who have uh, found a nostalgic spot somewhere back there in your mind and have a little story that you want to tell us 
of not having watched a convention on television. It doesn't have to be one of those first ones, by the way. It doesn't have to be the 1952 one. It can be the 19... Well, how far do we go? Because the convention now is conducted in a completely different manner and is conducted truthfully, except for a few signing on the dotted line things. Uh, there's no competition. Nothing happens there. It's already happened by this time. But up to 19... Well... 1968, something did happen, and uh, and nothing happens now. The smoke-filled room was something that some people yearned for, were nostalgic for, including, I'll admit to you myself, it was really a show, and I'm nostalgic for it today because it begins for the Democrats, and next week I think it will be there for the Republicans, and so on. We'll, we'll talk a little bit when we come back after this break about the history of the conventions, because that it was not a typical part of the American political process, say, going back to George Washington. In fact, the, the, how candidates were nominated was a completely different thing, and Washington was really not nominated. Uh, they were begging Washington to be president. Everybody was. And if anybody had gotten in the way, they probably, something bad would have probably happened to them because he was the man that could make it work. Uh, they were not entirely the political leaders of that time sure that anybody else could carry off the job. But they knew that General Washington could, and it turns out that he did, and so on. So, But there were no political conventions. Usually the candidates for a particular party were nominated by a caucus, a meeting of the members of the party who put a candidate forward. And, uh, and the electoral process was much more meaningful then uh, than it would become later. They've still got a version of the caucus uh, as a way to tell who uh, a state or an area is going to vote to in several states, including Iowa. The, the Iowa caucus is typically one of the first things that happens that means that the political season, you're talking about running for president, and it's in fact open. We'll talk about that a little bit when we come back, but uh, we'll, we'll go back and be a little more more, more nostalgic about uh, the uh, political uh, conventions uh, that chose uh, our leaders or the people who ran for our leaders who, who, who submitted themselves to the vote. But what I'd really like to do is to have you tell your story. When was the first time you became aware of politics? Who was the first politician whose name you can remember? I think probably Ike was the first one that I could remember, and Governor William B. Umstead was the first governor of North Carolina that I had any conscience of, and he was elected and was in office a brief time, and and had a, uh, I think he had a heart attack. I think he had, but, but he certainly had bad health, and he died. And I believe Luther Hodges, who later would serve in the cabinet under President Kennedy, was uh, his successor. But that's when there's a lot of richness in politics, and a lot of things are going on, and they don't seem to be as much under control. But if you, your story is welcome, in fact, it's necessary. I don't want to dangle in the in the electronic wind here myself. Nine one nine. 860-9783. We'll be back, and I hope you'll be lined up to tell me your story. Tom Kearney. The Tom Kearney Show is here every night, Monday through Friday, from 9 until 10, with a little bit of live and in real-time radio, and our topics vary all along. We just really don't do any serious haggling as, as politicians would do. But we do. We are interested in the history of politics, and that 
in my mind, to a good topic for tonight, I thought, and we will have to see if it uh, engenders any interest in, in the audience. You're invited to tell me your story, and that we're talking sort of nostalgically about when you first sort of, you might have been six years old, uh, got a sense of, of, of politics in the part, and usually it was through the media. If you were really old, like me, it was on the radio. But if you were a little bit less old, it might have been on the television. In fact, one of the things until they, they changed the way they did the conventions that was really fun to watch was the political conventions. But uh, I was telling you how I first became aware of politics by going to my aunt and uncle's for my summer stay. I usually went every summer for at least a couple of weeks or maybe more, and it was always kind of good because my aunt and uncle always took me somewhere, and they also lived very close to the ocean in Norfolk, uh, and uh, and also it was it was another place. It was uh, another time and another place. But in any event, I was there in the summer of 1952, and actually I, I became I got to see two things that I had never seen before. One was the political convention, and if I go back a minute, I got to see the 1952 Major League All-Star Games. Now, I was already a terrific baseball fan because my grandfather was, but I, I confronted baseball through watching local games in, in Goldsboro, the Class D Coastal Plain League, but more more often I liked the, the Major League games, but I heard them on the radio, Mutual Mutual's radio network, the Mutual Broadcasting System had a and what they called the mutual game of the day. They would have a game every afternoon. And, uh, in fact, I think a station in Wilson, North Carolina, WBOT, carried them. Somebody in Wilson probably remembers that. But um, uh, a lot of times those games, more often than not, they included the Chicago Cubs because there was uh, so much baseball was played at night. But the Cubs were, of course, at that time, as they would be for many years after that, a team that did not play at night. If they had a game and it was in Chicago, it was in the daytime at Wrigley Field. So uh, I'm, I'm learning about baseball by watching the All-Star game. I got kind of confused because there was a uh, on the American League team was Hank Bauer and on the National League team was, uh, I'm trying to remember his, his first name, but his last name was Sauer. So I had Bauer and Sauer and I was a little confused about that. But I did get to see and learn a little bit about the politics and I have I forgot to look. I'm going to need to go back and look and see where the Republican National Convention was held in 1952. I was not a whole lot older in 1956, and the Republican Convention was held, and Eisenhower was renominated and won another time. It was held in San Francisco in a place called the Cow Palace. I had to think a little bit about that, but uh, I, I, I imagine it was a place that had been involved in the stockyards. I'm going to have to look that up. I've been thinking about looking that up for about 50 years now, and I think it's about time to get around it to it. That's one thing that I like about the the uh, computer and the Internet is I get to look all those things up more efficiently than I used to and together all, all the kind of facts and stuff that we have on our Friday night trivia programs, and one will happen this Friday night. But uh, I uh, got to, to, to learn about the convention and, and how it went about now, if a person is nominated, they usually go to the convention, and they don't literally go, but if they go, and this operation is beginning for the Democrats tonight, and it will begin a week from now for the Republicans, where 
votes have taken been taken in states all around the country, uh, and in, for each party, when you you voted for your party and who you who your preference was to be the candidate for the uh, the, the the party from that state, and usually this means that the the votes of that state and the votes are determined uh, usually by the strength of uh, the parties within the state. Uh, if you're a strong Democratic state and you're in the Democrat Party, you probably get more votes than a state that typically casts its votes for the other side. But in any event, uh, uh, the votes are usually committed. All that has to happen on the day, like uh, Wednesday or Thursday of this week, is the the uh, people from each state bring bring the certificates and say uh, the the number of votes for X or Y or Z is going to be for this person. Now, in the old days, it was done in a different way. Going back to, well, the first political convention that they usually admit, that the historians usually admit in the United States, took part in 1831, and it was an anti-Mason, Masonic. That's the word I was looking for, Masonic. There were people in the United States who were fearful of the, of the growth and power of the, Mason, the Masons in the United States. Of, uh, I guess you'd call them a fraternal organization. Some Mason is probably going to call them and tell me that. But that's all right. There's nothing right but about learning to get it. Nothing wrong with learning to get it right. But that fear had created a political party, and the, the first anti-Masonic uh, party, that was the name of the party, was in, I think, in Baltimore in 1831. And then the, the Democrats decided to adopt that. Uh, they, they were the more Democratic party and, and uh, voted, uh, well, in, in, in that era, they nominated Andrew Jackson to be their candidate for president. And the people who opposed Jackson, and they, uh, they had a lot of stripes, a lot of different kinds of political thought. But the one thing they could agree on was they didn't like Jackson. Uh, and uh, this was the, the party that we now call the Whig Party, and it, it lasted for about 20 years. And as a matter of fact, nominated a, a bunch of uh, ca- uh, candidates each year. Uh, that it was a major election, and in fact, elected two of them: uh, William Henry Harrison, the fam- famous president, uh, who lived only one month, uh, died, and his place was taken by his vice president, who was John Tyler. Tyler, in truth, was not a Democrat, not a Whig. He was really a Democrat, but he he hated Jackson, so that qualified him to be sort of a part-time Whig. And so he they won in 41. And in 49, uh, Zachary Taylor and Millard Fillmore ran together. And to show you how low an estimate uh, Taylor had of his being nominated, because the candidates typically didn't go to the conventions and didn't put themselves forward. That that's a process that was gradually beginning, but most of the time they stood in the background and waited for their managers. And the story is that when Zachary Taylor got the letter announcing his nomination, he returned it uh, because the postage was due on it. More after the news. John Sauter has not whispered in my ear that we have any. A guest, uh, what am I trying to say? Not my guest, but any any callers on the phone who want to join me. They've left me hanging here, but uh, 
I enjoy talking about the nostalgic aspects of when I learned first about the kind of national politics and how I learned it by watching television. And for the first time, I, I got, had a good place to watch it. I was at my aunt and uncle's in 1952 in the summer for the annual summer visit and watched uh, and I'm sure I watched the Republican convention because I remember the, the me trying to figure out why anybody would vote against Ike, and uh, but certainly Robert Taft was the, his opponent for him, and I learned that politics was a little more complicated than than uh, an eight-year-old imagined it to be. I, I may have been back or not gone home before the Republicans were on, but in any case, I became nostalgic for the days of the convention. And the, the when when the delegates went to a town, uh, a venue, and uh, conducted business, uh, and uh, ultimately voted uh, who their votes would be cast for uh, at that particular point, and that has been replaced today by the by the uh, uh, the voting in the states where the the votes are co committed to the candidates, and uh, what goes on at the convention when the guys get together as as in for the Democrats this week and the Republicans next week, uh, it's merely a signing off on what has already been accomplished. The delegates who are there are not to be negotiated with by the men in the smoke-filled room, but rather they're already committed to a particular candidate. And this works for both parties uh, along the way. So that's where we are. I'm inviting you to join me and tell me when you were sitting down in, uh, in Wilson County and uh, listening to the radio and the, or watching television uh, from Channel 9 in Greenville or Channel 7 in Washington uh, when you first became aware of politics, or reading the, the local newspaper, or hearing your parents or the people at the school, or perhaps your history teacher talk about politics and who was running and who wasn't and how they were chosen and how the voters were involved or not involved in the process. And... Uh, uh, one of the wonderful things. So, if, if you are, if you are, have a story. If you have a story, give me a call at nine one nine eight six zero nine seven eight three nine one nine eight six zero WPTF, and uh, we I would like to have, have your story and be able to, if you're willing, to converse with you about it. A, a little piece of of memory. We have a two or three callers. I'm, I can remind myself of right now who I hope are listening and will, who will respond to this. All callers are welcome, of course. This is a very uh, democratic process, uh, usually. 919-860-9783. And uh, you can join us to tell us about your experience with uh, with uh, politics. Um, uh, the, the change in the way the conventions played their role uh, I was telling John Sauter tonight, he's he's younger than I am, and, and we were talking about uh, the change and uh, a lot of the stuff that went on in the 60s, the, the unrest, the feeling that the country was being run by a few autocrats, uh, a few single-minded people who had attained power one way or another, and not enough uh, role was being in, in selecting the candidates was being uh, given to or able access to uh, that that thing that is usually called the people. Uh, so in the late 1970s, 60s rather, uh, 
1968, there was a particularly nasty convention in Chicago uh, where we ended up having a confrontation between a lot of spectators, a lot of even some delegates, and the mayor, Richard Daly of Chicago. There are movies about this. There are TV uh, documentaries about it. Uh, there are books about it, and all of them deserve uh, some attention from yourself because it, it was one of those points where things turned and changes were made in the political parties about how the votes were secured and when they were secured, how they were committed, and to what, what went on at the convention. Basically, after 1968, what went on at the convention was the aforementioned uh, counting, and that is... Uh, well, in North Carolina, we had a primary sometime back. Uh, I w w won't be too specific about all of this, but uh, it was a question of who would be the candidate for the Democrats. Uh, would it be this guy or this guy or this lady? And uh, in this case, in North Carolina, the, the candidate for the Republicans was kind of predetermined because he was already in office and Oh, well, it's just that's not that's that's worthy of your investigation. We don't want to give it all away, but uh, but uh, that meant that uh, at the the convention they didn't go and say, okay, the boys, we're going into the back room here and negotiate, and if if a certain candidate will do certain things for us and certain uh, candidate will do other things for us, we'll decide which which way the votes of North Carolina go, uh, and uh, or Alabama or Missouri. Or wherever, uh, so but but no no it was already uh, they'd been already voted back in their home state at some time prior on primary days, which usually begin uh, in the early part of the year. There are increasingly they've they've had the, what they call super primary days when primaries from many different states end up being on the same day. But what's going on there, of course, is the the voters of a particular state are can. Uh, 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 guaranteeing their votes to a particular candidate, uh, and uh, uh, so that uh, it will not be the smoke-filled room. The, one of the great things about the era of the smoke-filled room was a lot of negotiations went on right at the last minute. Uh, the, uh, the 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 guys in the smoke-filled room and the guys who controlled the political candidates. Uh, in 1960, the candidate for the Democrats was John John Kennedy, and and uh, some wheeling and dealing and trading had to be done with people like Lyndon Johnson and so on to get the nominations. Today, he would go to the convention, President Kennedy would, uh, as most other candidates would, knowing whether they were going to have a chance or not. In fact, they probably wouldn't go if they were aware that they did not have a chance. But uh, the, the people are closer to choosing the uh, who the candidates, in fact, are now. Uh, there is some questions about how the newer system works, but uh, the, the American political process will have to work itself out. Uh, but that's how we got to where we are, where we went from the political convention. Well, something I should say something about is that uh, the media, the first media to cover the political convention, going back to the anti-Masonic convention in, eight, in uh, 1831, or the newspapers. In fact, some of the earliest use of the telegraph was between Washington and Baltimore in the 1844 nominations uh, uh, 
and uh, being able to send the news immediately. Let me just put a bug in your ear. One of the most momentous days in, in the history of the United States and indeed of the world was the day that the first telegraph message was sent because that was the first time in history that a message was sent over a long distance and the answer was immediately apparent wherever it was sent. Somebody could have been killed, a horse could have run a race, whatever. Uh, usually it took, uh, at the time, it took a railroad train to take it, say, from, from Baltimore to Washington, or a, ride a, or a horse. Uh, there, but immediately, the, the invention of Samuel F. E. Morse made it immediately possible to say in uh, Baltimore, or, or let's turn it around, in Washington, that... Uh, uh, somebody had James K. Polk. Let's say he was nominated in Baltimore, and the late afternoon edition of the Washington Post or the Washington whatever would have that news. But before that time, that was not possible. One had to wait and then wait for the horse to get there or the railroad car, and the railroad cars had just arrived along the way. But then this was the time that the press, the new, the the the, the uh, letter press. Uh, the newspapers uh, became a medium for understanding politics. And in the 19th century, the the uh, newspaper people, and and particularly in the last part of the century, the cartoonists had an important effect in dealing with the politics. And the history of uh, presidential nominations, well, one of the most important presidential nominations of all was the one in 1860 that nominated that guy from, from Illinois. Uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. I think the convention that year for the Republicans, uh, Lincoln's party was in Chicago. And like most candidates of his time, he did not actually go to that convention. He had his managers there. They were wheeling and dealing and making the deals. And that's where the, the well, that's not where it begins at all. That's, when you do history, you, you always have to be careful of say, where something begins. Because most of the time, you don't know where it begins. But anyway, Lincoln got the nomination, and uh, he was nominated by a, a convention of delegates that went uh, and uh, in a in a wheeling and dealing kind of operation. I don't know whether the rooms were smoke filled or not, but it was that kind of negotiation. And uh, so Abe Lincoln got nominated at the convention in Chicago, and did a pretty good job, I think, uh, along the way. Nineteen uh, twenties. A convention uh, uh, played an important part in uh, uh, the history of, of the uh, nomination for that year. Uh, the, I'm, I'm trying to remember the candidates were Harding was the Republican candidate and a man named uh, Davis. And I want to mention this because it, it, it has a meaning for radio. Uh, radio was in the air. Uh, people were buying radio sets, and other people were putting radio stations on the air. One of the real tough things is if you have a radio set and there are any stations. And so Westinghouse had made a bunch of radios, and they decided to put their uh, their station, I'm simplifying this, on the air. And it is still out there at night on 1020, and it's called KDKA. And they broadcast uh, the Harding-Cox presidential votes in uh, 1920, and that is regarded by many historians as one of the first really significant 
radio broadcast in American history. Now, when 1924 came, everybody was there to cover the election, and a really wild thing went on. We'll talk a little bit more about that in time our program tonight. You still have a chance to get in. Uh, 919-860-9783. I'm Tom Kearney, and I'm nostalgic for the way politics used to be. All in the wonderful game that we know as lovers. That's always been one of my favorite songs, and John Sauter reminded me of it tonight. He's the producer of this program, and he's going to help have to help me through this next group of things. Are you still there, John? I'm here, John, Tom. Are you there? You can kill Tommy Edwards, and we'll try to work our way through the 1924 election, which was met in Madison Square Garden. The Republicans had a fairly easy job in uh, 1924 because their, their, the president was uh, a sitting member of their party. They had the incumbent. He had become president recently because he had been the vice president. His name was Calvin Coolidge. But uh, Warren Gamaliel Harding had been the president, but Harding had uh, had died. And so uh, Calvin Coolidge had become president, and he was running on his own in 1924. And I think you told me, John, that Charles Dawes was his vice presidential candidate. And when you said that name, I thought that, that means something. Charles Dawes wrote that song you just heard, which was a big hit for Tommy Edwards back in the 19. 19- 60s. It's always been one of my favorites. In fact, Tommy Edwards has just been ignored by people who should be listening to his songs. Now, that's the Republicans. That takes his Calvin Coolidge and Charles Dawes. Am I right, John? You're right, Tom. Okay. Democrats, they need to get some candidates. And that's when the, the one of the funniest uh, conventions went on and, and a reason to be nostalgic. I I thought I remembered it this afternoon. I told you I got into this by sitting in a chair and leaning back and being nostalgic about uh, American history. That's I've always loved it, and presidential history particularly, and my mind was rolling across it, and I said, I cannot remember who the candidate was, but there was really a long nomination process, which is an example of what could go on when they could not agree at a convention where the delegates came open and willing to be bothered and to be have their minds changed. It took them 103 ballots because they didn't bring any any, any committed uh, delegates to work it out, to negotiate, to negotiate, to negotiate. 115 days. And it, it was also the first convention that was covered uh, to a great extent by the, the new medium, the one that was electric for everybody, and that is, in fact, radio. And this was about the time the uh, the uh, networks were being formed. Actually, NBC was the first network, and it was formed in 1926, so it would be 1928 is selection before the, uh, the real power of radio. But radio stations, big and powerful radio stations, like the stations in New York, Philadelphia, and Boston, uh, were, were on the air, and Right along in there, there was a small, not-so-powerful radio station in Raleigh coming on the air in 1924, and uh, its call letters were at that point WFHD, and then it became WRCO, and later, in 1928, it became WPTF, 
we were about to celebrate our 96th anniversary, but we weren't around for the 1924 election. We 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 hadn't quite gotten there as a radio station, but uh, uh, so that's why I've been nostalgic today, and just thinking about being in Norfolk in the summer of 1952, and uh, getting to watch television for the first time something that I'd heard about in eastern North Carolina, but we we didn't have yet. We didn't have we had a few sets, but we didn't have any stations. And I got to watch the, the All-Star Baseball game, and I got to watch the, at least, uh, I don't think, I don't, I can't tell in my mind whether I watched the Democrats or not, but I watched the Republicans, and I couldn't remember, and I remember the, uh, the, uh, the Taft people, uh, Robert Taft's backers, saying uh, what I thought for a kid were not so nice things about General Eisenhower. How could people do that? But in any event, uh, he was General Eisenhower got the nomination and won the election, and in fact won the next election. Tom Kearney, a little bit of nostalgia on this Monday night. Tomorrow night, we're going to be talking about stamps and coins with Doug Matter.